as I shared with you already, what we're going to be doing is concluding a three-week service that was the very basis of, of what we'll be talking about really this whole year. I'm not talking about this, you know, until December. I'm talking about from now until, until next, into next summer. We're going to be talking about this whole thing of that, that God gave us a, a command. And, he, and his son, Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, when he met with some of the religious leaders and they asked him this question, what is the most important thing that we could do with our lives? What is the greatest commandment of all? He gave them a commandment, actually two commandments that went together. He said in, 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 in uh, Mark chapter 12, he said this. He said, Jesus said, the most important commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then he said there's, the, there, there, there's that vertical comp, you know, part of it. As we look at these, I don't know if you noticed this last week. You know, there's two parts here. This is like a cross. The vertical dimension of our relationship is with God. And number one, we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he said this. He said, secondly, there's this horizontal component. The cross is the greatest example of this. This horizontal component, and that is to love, love people, to love others as ourselves. And last week we talked about that second part, began to talk about that second part, that we're to love people, love others, love the lost. Because the, the God, we talked about there's only two categories of people in the world according to Scripture, lost and found. And the Bible talks about these, and he says that the thing is, is that the people who love God, if we truly love God, we must love the things that God loves. And one of the things that God loves is people who are lost. And we talked about what that means, about how that reshapes the way we think about people, that reshapes the thing that we think about how we spend our time and our resources in life. But then there's also a component of that is when Jesus was uh, uh, talking about that. He also, over in John chapter 13, uh, this morning if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to John chapter 13 uh, in the New Testament, the fourth of the Gospels. And he says to them, and this is right before, this is like 24 hours before he's to go to the cross. He's in the upper room. And one of the last things he says to his disciples, his followers, who'd already heard this command about uh, a new command, you know, uh, the whole thing about loving God and loving others. He says this in John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this will all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're going to talk about this verse this morning, what it means for us and how we live out life and why in the world, you know, when Jesus had this, this, just a few hours before he's going to die on a cross, he knew what was going to happen. Why in the world was this one of his final things he told his disciples to do? Why did he say, you know, of all the things, I've already told you it's important to love God and to love others, the lost. But he said, now I want to tell you this is a new commandment. Why was it a new commandment? Hadn't they heard this before? I mean, don't all of us know we're to love one another? I think what Jesus was doing was he was emphasizing the importance of this, not only for the way we live life with each other, but how people outside the church, outside the body of believers of Christ, how they perceive us. And so we're going to talk about, I believe there's five things this morning, five uh, ingredients, five things we must do to be a more loving person, to be a more loving church to have more loving families. These five things apply to all those areas of life because he says, here's some things I want you to understand about why it's important to love one another. So this morning, if you have your, uh, your, your uh, bulletin with you, there's a little uh, piece of paper that's a note place. You can take notes if you like to do that kind of thing. If you don't, just listen. And we'll talk about some of the things that I believe that this verse, this just a couple of verses of Scripture teach us this morning 
about why it's important to love one another. The first is this. The first thing, if we're to really understand this verse, the first thing I think it says to me is this. We must make love a priority. We must make love a priority of our life. Now, what kind of love are we talking about? Are we talking about this wishy-washy love that goes, you know, I love ice cream? Is that the kind of love we're going to have? You know, we use the word love kind of in a weird way in our culture. In America, in English, we have one word for love, and it means so many different things. I love ice cream. I love my wife. I hope it's not the same. Uh, you know, we have all these understandings. We need to understand what he's talking about here because in Greek, in the Greek language, the New Testament was written in, there's multitudes, of, there's several words for love. And the word that's used here is the word agape. It's a godly, unconditional type of love. That's what he's saying. That's how we love one another. And so the very first part of the thing he says to us this, a new command I give you. already said the context is that there was only 24 hours before the cross. Jesus was alone with his disciples. And I find it interesting how the different uh, gospel writers treat these, these last 24 hours, this upper room experience. In Matthew, all we basically see recorded about the upper room, uh, these last few hours with Jesus, is the la- some information about the Last Supper. We see pretty much the same thing in Mark. And then in Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke, we see the Lord's Supper, and plus there's 16 additional brief verses uh, about some other teachings that go on there. But when we get to the Gospel of John, for some reason, John is saying, okay, this is Jesus' final instructions. I better write some of this stuff down and let people know. And so he spends basically uh, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of his gospel talking about the events and the teaching that went on in the upper room. 155 verses uh, John records of Jesus' final instructions because he realizes something after this, after this, and, and I'm sure he didn't realize all the ramifications, but soon afterwards as he wrote these things down, after this Jesus will be gone. He said, I'm about to leave you. But I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to leave you something called the comforter, the helper, the paraclete. That's a Greek word. It means the helper, the person that gives you comfort and strength. It's called the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm about to leave you physically, but I'm going to leave you something as well. But then he starts off and he says, then he says this, I'm, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Now, the first thing about this, this is not, uh, what does the word commandment mean? When you tell your kids to do something, is it a commandment or a suggestion? If you really want them to do it. Now, don't, you know. I mean, when, I, when there's something I want my kids to do, it's a commandment. Right? You ever give your kids a commandment? Yeah, you need to do this. Because if you don't do this, there's consequences involved. Jesus was not saying here, this is, this is a great suggestion. You know, this is something that's optional. Pray about it. If you think you want to do it, do it. Now, he's saying to his disciples, he said, here is something you need to prioritize in your life. Make love, this type of love, a priority in your life. You need to get it done. And it may have surprised them because when he said, I want to give you a new command I give you, you know, wonder what they were thinking when they heard those first words. You know, our, we can think, uh, I understand, five to six times faster. Our brain can process things faster than we can speak. Even me sometimes when I get carried away. You know, the thing is, is that we can process things. So immediately when he says, a new commandment I give you, you wonder what was going on in their brain. They were thinking, oh, he's going to tell us how, uh, how to have greater faith or how to pray. Or maybe he's the greatest teacher of all and all those who, you know, the few, the few of them that 
were teacher type people that later on went and taught like Peter and others, they're probably thinking, these will give us some sermon pointers. The greatest teacher of all time, the last thing, a new commandment I give you. But then he says this, he says this strange thing. He tells them to love one another. And they're kind of like, love one another? Why would he say something like that? It's a surprising command that he says, but he wants us to understand it's a top priority. And probably some of those guys, remember these guys were fishermen. They were outdoorsy guys. They were not people that hugged a lot, I'm sure. Maybe they beat each other on the beach. You know how guys do it. You go out and you just, you know, hit each other on the back. That's how you show affection. Guys do that. Smack each other beside the head. You know, you watch NCIS, you know. You know what I'm talking about if you watch that show. But the issue is, is that so often guys, you know, this is talking to a bunch of guys. He said, make love a priority in your life. Agape love, unconditional love, the type of love that uh, that hopes for the best in a person. I thought about this and I asked myself this question. In the church that I grew up in, did I feel this kind of love? And the answer is yes. Not from everybody. I share with you the story before. I grew up in a, a church in Virginia. I grew up there and, and uh, spent most of my life there except uh, college in Tennessee, uh, seminary in, in uh, North Carolina and uh, those locations. But the church I grew up in, I was there from the time I was a small child and actually, you know, even up to college, I was college age, the first couple of years I was community college. So I was still connected with that church. And I'm thinking about people in the church. Did I feel unconditionally loved by people in that church? There was a few people I could think of that had that kind of, I had that kind of, uh, felt that kind of love from. I remember people who were like Sunday school teachers. I remember a guy who was a, a, a major in the Marines. He was my Sunday school teacher when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. And, and he was, he would come in and he, you know, the guy was a great guy. He would tell us war stories. You know, he was in Vietnam and he was a uh, commander of an A team. And he would come in and he would tell us all these stories. But man, he, then he would go outside of class and he would spend time with us and he would, he would, he would just care for us and do stuff with us all the time. I remember other people in the church who just gave, gave of their time and would, was never too busy for us as well. Because, you know, love in a sense, this kind of love is really spelled T-I-M-E, time. Unconditional love takes time and effort in our life. And so I did grow up in a church where I experienced, not everybody that way, but I experienced with a number of people this unconditional, this love, this uh, love was a priority with these folks because I cared not only that they just want to do what they needed to do, but they, they loved us in a real sense. And so the first thing I think it tells us as, as individuals and as the church is this, is that love needs to be the priority of our lives. This type of love that we're talking about here, it needs to be the priority of this church that we love one another. And guess what? The church is you. And so it means that that's the first thing that Jesus is telling us here, that we're to love God, love others, but then he says we're to love one another, and love needs to be a priority in our lives. It means that we need to take the effort and the time to love. The second thing I believe it says, it says, a new command I give you. The second thing it says is this, that we need to engage love's power. We need to engage love's power. And he said, love one another. It's not a brotherly love. There is a Greek word, the phileo, that's, uh, it's a word that means brotherly love, kind of a camaraderie type of love. There's a Greek word that means kind of a, a sexual type of love. It's called eros. Kind of get where the uh, some of the roots come from, but the words he's not using any of those words. He's talking about the word here, uh, agape, this kind of love that's uh, that's always that is a choice not based upon our performance. 
It's not a love that says, if you do this, then I will love you, I will follow you, I will, I will do something for you if you do this. It's a love that says, in a real sense, I'm going to do what's best for you. I'm going to look out for the best in you. You know, when I do uh, wedding vows with folks and I read 1 Corinthians uh, 13, so often it gives a description, description of love. It says this in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is, proud, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fail, fails. The type of love that Jesus is saying here, he says, you need to, a new command I give you, love one another, is this type of love, not a brotherly love, not a physical love, but he's talking about a love that's based upon a choice that you and I make to love one another, to look out for the best in the other person, regardless of how we re- they respond to me. It's a tough type of love. It overcomes obstacles that so often in life that we have. Let me give you a couple of things out of the 1 Corinthians 13. It talks about verses 4 and 5. You know, it says that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude, not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You You know what the biggest obstacle to love like this is? Take your finger and do this. Me, me, the biggest obstacle to really loving people is me. And God is saying to you and to me that our selfishness, selfishness is the thing that causes damage in relationships. Y'all understand that, right? Even when I say y'all. That's Virginia, okay? It means you guys, okay? I mean, we understand that selfishness is the problem. You know, all our marriages, all our relationships would be perfect if we could get me out of the way. And so Jesus is saying to his, his followers there, he's saying, you need to agape, love one another with a love that's a choice based upon the fact, not upon the fact of what people perform, how they do, but it's not about liking someone. You ever... Let's be honest. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand, okay? Raise your hand. If you've got a kid, ever had a kid, you know, whatever. Okay, keep your hands up. Okay. How many of you love your kids? Keep your hands up if you love your kids. How many of you always like your kids? Some of you kept your hands up. You're liars. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, the truth is this. Don't your kids, because they're close to you, don't they, you know, they irritate you sometimes? I was going to ask that about spouses, but I didn't want to go there. But the thing is, because they might be sitting right next to you. But the issue is, it's because people are human people. So often what happens is, is we love people. It's a kind of love that we still love them. We look out for the best of them, but we don't always like them. I've told my kids that before. My daughter's sitting back there with my wife, and she knows that. I've told her before, I, lo- I love you, honey, but I don't like you all the time. And she probably says that a lot about me as, as, her, as her dad. But the issue is, is that that's the way that we do it. See, this type of love, this type of love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13, the type of love that Jesus is talking about here, this agape love that he says we need to love one another with, is a love that overcomes and conquers the biggest obstacle to love, and that is me. And we'll talk about how that happens more in a minute. The second thing in verse 6, it says this, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
So often in life, we just kind of go, we struggle with love. We struggle with loving people because we just, we just become content with how things are. See, real love is willing to take the extra step to try to do something with a problem that's, that's in front of them. Real love has a, finds a, a, a God-honoring way to be in, an influencer in the situation. Real love is just not content just to go around and go, oh, I love you so much, and just let things go their way. It, it, it overcomes the status quo. Then in verse 7, it says this, it all, this, this kind of love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always hopes. You know, one of the problems so often in our relationships with people is because we become skeptical. If you ever become, don't raise your hands. If you ever become skeptical that somebody's ever going to change, I mean, year after year after year, you see them doing the same stupid things over and over and over. It might be your spouse, it might be your kids, it might be your parents, uh, you know, whatever. And you become skeptical that can never change. See, the problem with that type of thinking is it's wrong thinking. What it does, it doubts that God's transforming power in people's lives. But I, I can understand this. I believe this fully, that God can transform anyone. And that's what it's saying. It says, this love not always protects and trusts, but it always hopes. It perseveres. It doesn't give up. And this is tough love sometimes. And then at the end it says, love never fails. This type of love never fails. You know why? Because it's the love that only comes to people who have a relationship with God as God's love flows through us like a conduit. It's not from us. You and I do not have the power to love this way. But God said, if you will open your life to me, what I will do is I will love through you. Freddie came out the door the other day and said this to me, and I appreciate it, that illustration, Freddie, that we're, you know, we're like a conduit of God's love. And the more, the, the more we get us out of the way, guess what flows through us? God's love. This type of love. We love one another. The third thing it says in this uh, passage of Scripture is this, that we need to follow love's example. It says, it says, a new command I give you, love one another. And then it says this, as I have loved you. Who was speaking here? This is not a hard question. Jesus. Jesus is saying, the way I want you to love one another is the way that Jesus loves us. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, if, been the, if I'd have been in the upper room sitting there listening, I'd have probably gulped. Because I, these guys had lived with Jesus for two to three years. They had seen the way Jesus loved people, how he walked the second mile, how he constantly was going against the flow, how he was constantly encountering people, speaking the truth in love, how he was spending the time with all the things that Jesus did to love people. And he says, we need to follow love's example. That's the type of love. It's not this worldly kind of like, you know, you do something for me, I'll do something for you type of love. He said, the type of love we have for one another, the type of love that's a dynamic love that makes a difference in our lives is the type of love that Jesus, that Jesus loves, that God loves us with. Because Jesus was God. And as I think about all the ways that Jesus lived and, and the ways that he uh, loved people in the world, all, the, all those type of things, I'm thinking, you know, I don't always love that way. I'm not always patient. And kind. I don't always uh, persevere. Sometimes I give up. But Jesus said, that's the kind of love I want you to have. And you can have that kind of love in your life if you allow yourself to get out of the way and allow me to love through you. 
And as that love flows to other people, then what will happen is, is that people's lives will change, and your life will change as well. We must follow love's example. The fourth thing we've got to do there is this. We need to escape love substitutes. You know, so often we substitute kind of fake things for real love. We do it in the church. I'm talking about the church, okay? Church people, good church people, substitute things that are not real love for God's love. Uh, it says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What was Jesus repeating himself there, you know? Is he saying, you know, no, he's saying this, love each other is hard. It's easier sometimes just to love Jesus because we can kind of love Jesus from afar. But people are right up in our face sometimes, and sometimes it is hard to love people. Is it not? It's hard to love people if you really love them. Let me give you some substitutes uh, for real godly love, some substitutes that we have. There are all five, there's five of them. They're all S's if you're taking notes, okay? I don't know. I got this from somebody else, James McDonald from up at Harvest. I thought it was a great illustration he gave. I was listening to a message back a few months ago from him. And, and, and substitutes for real godly love. First one is sentimentalism. Sentimentalism. So often what we want to do is we want to escape. Uh, we really don't want to love people. We want to do the hard stuff of loving because we want to go escape the, the way things used to be. Uh, we love each other, but we, you know, we're going back. And so often in church, people want to go back to the way things used to be. They really never were the way we think they were because when they get them in our mind and we repeat them over and over again, they become bigger like fish stories. Let's sing the old songs. You know, let's do this. Let's go. Let me tell you something. God is not concerned in our life about what used to be. Good, good news. He's not concerned about what used to be. He wants to have a dynamic personal relationship with you now. That's why he's often saying in Scripture things like sing a new song. He says that more than once. doesn't mean every song we sing has to be new, but it says don't, be, don't go, you know, don't drop into sentimentalism about love. You know, everything was so wonderful when... I truly, let me just be honest with you, what's done is done. What's yesterday was yesterday. Yeah, you know, some people come like, you know, I wish I was a part of Great Oaks when we were like, uh, you know, like in those first year in this building, man. It was like incredible. Well, I'm sorry, it's done. It's past. You know, back when we were at the school, you know, we was like a little holy huddle of 130 people. It's what a wonderful time. I knew everybody. No, you didn't. You can't, per, you can't, I can't know 130 people. You knew maybe 20. The thing is, is that in a church, as it grows larger, the issue is not that we know everybody, but is that we know somebody. That's why small groups are so important. That's why serving in ministries are so important. That's why you need to connect with people. Don't just come on Sunday mornings and sit here in rows. Connect with people. Sentimentalism can be uh, you know, of hindrance to what God is doing in our life right now. Let me, I believe this. God is interested in your relationship with him and others now. And the best days of my life and the best days of Great Oaks is ahead. You believe that? I believe that. Because God is a big God. If we trust God, God is not done with us yet. So sentimentalism can be a, a hindrance to really loving. It's a kind of wallowing in the past. Shallowness can be a second uh, substitute for real godly love. You know, I will love you up to a point until it costs me something. Let me tell you something about real love. Real love, I heard this quote, I don't know who, where it came from. But real love, love that has not been tested is not love at all. 
Love that has not been tested is not love at all. Let me tell you the reason. My wife and I have been married 31 years. And truthfully, we have a better relationship today than we had 31 years ago. We're two imperfect people. We struggle with life just like you do. But we've, been, we've gone through the ups and the downs of life together. And through that, we've grown stronger together. It's not pulled us apart because we've had a common bond. That is God. We've trusted in God through all these things. Sometimes we didn't know what the next step was going to be, but we trusted in God, and so he drew us, drew us himself. Shallowness, sometimes we think we just have this kind of wishy-washy, kind of warm, fuzzy thing about love, and we think, you know, when tough times, well, let me explain, tough times really show what love is. So shallowness sometimes, you know, we sometimes substitute this kind of shallow love, this kind of feeling love. And it kind of goes along with the next one. I call it sweetness. Sweetness. We have this idea that love is just this sweet, warm, fuzzy, teddy bear kind of love. 19, 20-year-olds come to my office for premarital counseling. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. Are they in for a ride if they think that the depth of their love is where it needs to be at this point? Because all of us are immature, uh, and we just are less, some people are less mature than others. And the issue is so often in life we have this kind of sweetness. Another word for it is nice. There's nothing wrong with niceness. It's better than meanness, okay? But the issue is sometimes real love is tough love. It makes the hard decisions to put the best interest of others above yourself. That kind of love will change the world, not sweetness. Another substitute for real godly love is selectiveness. Selectiveness. Well, I love you and I love you. You're okay. You're okay. I, I, I can't even stand you. You know what I'm talking about. You know, we, in churches, we, because once again, it's based upon expectations and, and how people respond. Now, I want to tell you, i got to be honest with you. The Bible says this. It says this in James 2.1. My brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ don't show favoritism or partiality. It's saying don't play favorites. When we do that, what do we look like? The world. And the world is looking at us and asking us this question. How are you different? How are you believers, Christians, different than anybody else other than the fact that you show up in a building on a Sunday morning? What's different about your lives? That's what they're asking. They're not asking about, you know, they're asking and they're looking at us and they're asking us the question, what's different? And Jesus said, what makes the difference is not that you go and sit in rows on Sunday mornings, but he says, what makes the difference to the world and to you is that you love one another with this agape, unconditional love that takes and goes the second mile. It's not that you know everybody in the church or even like everybody in the church. Once again, I don't even like my kids some days. My wife doesn't like me some days. But we still love one another. We look out for the best of another person. That's what it means. I began to think about that this week. Uh, and actually the last several weeks, I've kept my radars up a bit about this. And I'm thinking about the ways that we care for one another. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, when somebody's going through a need, how do we treat them? Do we go the second mile? You know, if, if a mom's stressed out with a bunch of kids running around like a crazy person, they got a lot of stressors in their life, how do we come along beside them and love them? Are we too busy to really love people? 
We're going to talk a lot more about this down the road. We're going to do a series next spring sometime. I'm not sure, probably right before Easter. It's called this, Jesus Loves You, But Everybody Else Thinks You're a Jerk. I know I'm serious with holding. Basically this is that, you know, so often the world perceives us as people who really don't love because we're just as busy and as crazy and we don't spend enough time really focused upon the things that we need to focus upon with each other and loving one another. People will look at us and they say, I don't, you know, I don't need another thing on my schedule. And if all are, all, the only thing different about us as believers is that we show up on church on Sunday morning and the rest of the week we live just like the rest of the world. Guess what? Their point is valid. Their point is valid. That's a substitute. Selectiveness is a substitute for, um, for this whole thing of uh, godly love. You know, one of the things that's made me aware is our church has grown longer. Yeah, when I was 130 people, I mo- knew most people's names uh, eight years ago. And, and now that we, you know, last, you know, normally we run between uh, 550, 600 with the two services with all our kids and stuff. And, and probably that means over a given month, seven to 800 people come through the doors of Great Oaks. I can't possibly know seven to 800 people. So something to help me to focus upon that and to begin to think about people is that I get our church directory, which is just, it's not a picture. I wish it was pictures, but we can't possibly keep up with that. But it's just names. It's addresses. We keep copies out in the lobby. If you look for one today, probably not out there because I think everybody grabbed them. But we'll print some more. But the issue is, as I began to do this recently, I began to take, and in my quiet time each day, I take and I'm praying through a couple of pages of our directory. And the directory's kept up to date. If you haven't been here in probably six months or eight months and haven't been connected with the church, your name's not in there. But I find myself many times being reminded of somebody that I'm thinking about something and I'm going, oh, I remember something about their life. Oh, I remember this is what they're going through. Oh, and, and all of a sudden, and sadly enough, oftentimes I can't place a name and a face together. Because many of you go out the door and you say, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so. You tell me your first name and, and, and you know, it's like, oh, it's just a crowd of people going out the door. Can't pause. But at least it begins to make me put a face and a name with a lot of people. And I know God knows all the people that I'm praying about, so that's the important thing. Being aware of who people are. Do I really care? Do we really care for each other? Do we love each other? And so what I've begun to do is, is I've done it. If I come across somebody that reminds me of something, I started going to start doing this. It's not a, if something is new, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start writing notes and calling them and saying, hey, I was just praying about you today. Or I prayed about you this week and, and how things going. That's something we all can do. I mean, you pray for the, through the director. You'll, you'll know people I won't know. You have, you'll have an understanding of who they are. They may be your neighbors, your friends, somebody that's connected with you. But it's a way of loving one another. It's a tangible way. It takes time. But this kind of love is spelled T-I-M-E. There's no way around it. Finally, this kind of uh, another substitute for real godly love is service sometimes. You're going, to, <gasps> service? Yeah, let me tell you what. Today, what I really want you to do after the service is over is I want you to go by these booths. If you're not connected in some area of ministry, one of the ways, tangible ways that we, that we love one another is we serve one another. But sometimes, sometimes we can simply serve out of an obligation. You know, I want people, I want us to first think, you know, if you're out here greeting, you just don't see people as, oh, i got to do this greeting job again. You know? Every person that comes in that you greet, maybe the first, you may be the only person this week that smiles at them and, and greets them warmly. If you work with kids, I don't want you just to work with kids because, because you got, it's an obligation. 
But if we really love the kids, we think about, you know, this kid, even if they're a... trying to think of a nice word to say. Um, Even if they're a difficult child, if they're a difficult child, why are they having such a... Why why they're so difficult? What's going on with them? How can I love them? How can I help them? See, we serve not because... And use it as a substitute for loving. We serve because we love. So service and love have to go hand in hand in a real sense. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. God wants us to understand that if we love each other, we serve one another here. And it begins here and then it spreads out in loving people in our community and loving other people in our world. So escape love substitutes. The fifth and final thing is this, and we're going to close with this in just a moment, is this. We need to extend love's impact. The very last part of this verse, when he says to us, uh, when he says to us in, 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 this, in this passage, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then in verse 35, he says this, By this, by this, by this what? By this type of love, this type of loving one another, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you have love in action, if it's lived out in your life, if you take the time to listen and to minister to one another, to care for one another, his, this is really what people are looking at. This will extend love's impact into a world that's looking for something beyond what they have. Because often in our world, I share with you, I believe this with all my heart, the number one thing that Satan uses in our world to cause us problems is busyness. We're so busy, we don't have time to love. We don't have time to build a love relationship with God. We don't have a time to build a love relationship. And and spend the time, just a few moments a day, to to look around us in in our neighborhood, in our world, and say, where is it that I need to more impact the world? How can I love people more? And particularly in the church, we rush in here on Sunday mornings. We we do our thing, and then we rush back and go home and go, go in our garage and close the doors and cloister ourselves away for the remainder of the week until we have to get back out and back and forth all the craziness of life. But Jesus says if you have this type of love, if you, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you're a believer if you love one another. Let me share this with you. I've already said this before, but this. None of us have the ability to love this way on our own. I can't do it, you can't do it. Because it takes a commitment to do that, and it takes the ability beyond ourselves. But God says to us, if you'll, if you'll allow me to come into, my, into your life, if you'll trust me, I will begin to write, reprioritize your life in such a way that you can love this way. God loving through us. And when we do that, the world will see something different about us and will say, hey, hey, I want to check that out. I want to know what's going on in their lives. Their busyness is a little more focused. (laughs) They seem to be making a greater impact in this world. They seem to really care for each other, for others. And they may not see how we love God, but they'll they'll understand if they keep following that up. And And Jesus is saying here, that's how, that's the sign, that's the thing that will attract and extend this love into the world. People observing and understanding the love that we have for them and for each other. This morning, uh, as we close, um, the band's going to come out. And then come ahead and come out, band. Uh, as they come out this morning, 
Um, then we're going to sing a closing song. It's kind of a fun song. Uh, it's actually an old song that was uh, done by a guy named Bill Withers called Lean On Me, except um, they're not doing the Bill Withers version. And, uh, and so uh, they're going to sing. It's a fun song. Uh, but I want to share with you this. This is how we're going to close. They're going to sing a song and some clothes. It's going to you know, clap your hands and have fun with it. But after, after we finish that, there's going to be a couple of things you can do. One, I would challenge you to go by the, the ministry booth. There will be people out here. As the song closes, those of you who are manning the ministry booth can go back to those, uh, those places. And you can talk to those folks about ways that you can get connected and, and serve uh, because we need people in every area, all the time. Let me tell our kids' area, uh, I mean, that's so uh, labor-intensive. There's so many volunteers we need back there, uh, first-step people, people helping with campus ministries here, worship, creative arts, student ministries, uh, small groups. You know, we always need to start new and more small groups. All these different things uh, we need to be connected with. And let me tell you, if you're really not connected with anybody, that's one way of getting connected is by serving together with other people in a ministry, by getting to know them there. If you feel disconnected, that's the greatest way to be connected. But this morning, if you have a need in your life, sometimes it's hard for you to minister to other people because you have so many burdens in your own life. And so this morning, one of the things we started a few weeks ago is we're going to have the prayer room over here open this morning. And Dan's going to be over there, and and I'm going to be over there this morning as well. And as we do that this morning, what's going to happen is if you have a special need this morning, while everybody else is kind of milling around in here before you leave, uh, you can come over there and connect with us. And uh, we'll pray with you about whatever need you have in your life. Let's pray right now, and then we'll close our service with, uh, with a song. And, and I just pray that in the next few weeks, as we begin this process of, of really uh, examining more clearly what it means to allow God to uh, move in our life, as we look at the Beatitudes starting next week, about what it is that, we, that so often we pursue, the pursuit of happiness in the wrong direction, how God, in a real sense, how he intervenes in our life and helps us to understand how to reprioritize life in a way that we'll find really, truly inner peace, uh, inner joy, uh, beyond just the surface happiness that we have. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.